Okay, it's Tuesday afternoon, 23 minutes to 2 o'clock uh, on the 123 show. That means it must be time for uh, Andrew Dembina and a focus on food and drink. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. How are you, James? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, nice to have you back on the show as ever. Um, and you've always got a, a starter, main course and dessert for us, Andrew, haven't you? Always got several <laughs> items to, to yeah. serve up, yeah? It, indeed, it's a bit of a banquet today, uh, James, and it's, it's starting with uh, with something that's really a fantastic story, one of the best I've heard for ages, and it puts together two passions of mine: art and food. Great, and it's uh, yeah, and it, and it's it's really about how one of the most well-known food writers slash editors and TV presenter in a food program got turned on to the world of food by studying art history oh, which really? is a really it's a bit it's a bizarre story yeah okay. and it was actually it was yeah it was published just um just about a week ago in the magazine of the museum of modern art in mm. new york mm. which is back in business and it was um and, and that that museum it's tied it in because it's got an exhibition by paul cezanne the late um expressionist painter fabulous who uh, yeah, and um, and what's amazing about it then is that uh, Ruth Reichel, as her name is, who's decades into the whole kind of food media industry in America, um, got into doing food stuff because it was specifically a still life painting by Paul Cezanne of apples that made her contemplate food. <laughs> and it, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy story, really. really yeah. and it's, a, it's, just a, it's a fascinating one. Um, she says that uh, in, in this article that she's written then for Museum of um, Modern Art magazine, she says that she ha uh, that, that all of her most favorite recollections from studying art history were the recommendations from her art professors in america about where there were cafes and and patisseries and different places around europe that you must go to if you're visiting famous painters murals in italy there was one that told her she had she must try ribolita which is a tuscan bread soup mm. um Another one says that there was a bistro around the corner from Notre Dame Cathedral when when in Paris, checking out all the all the amazing art museums there, where where she must try right. an Alsatian uh, recipe, a northern French recipe for um, uh, for for sauerkraut with sausages, which which is almost not found in Paris apart from this one place. Uh, when she went to Kyoto. She made sure she looked up something from one of her art teachers, which was uh, about a tofu specialist mm. near one of uh, Kyoto's most famous temples. Mm. And when she was studying uh, for one of her dissertation papers or one of her long extended essays, the, Aus the Austrian uh, painter, late painter Gustav Klimt, she first heard of Vienna's most revered pastry bake, uh, bakery uh, that's been there for generations which is called Demel and it's uh, so it's, it, it, this instilled in her all of the all of this kind of salivating interest in food <laughs> <laughs> every, 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 every time artists came up yeah and she also mentions in this article that um, the art historian students that she studied with all enjoyed sitting around talking and deconstructing the many meals that they saw in famous paintings and artworks. They would look at um, lots of different renditions of The Last Supper, 
which is a famous religious mm. painting, of course. Mm. And uh, about, uh, along with other feasts that were shown by um, lavish feasts by Bruegel, Bruegel, Vermeer, and all of these kind of Renaissance painters that did these lavish painters for very wealthy patrons. So it does. So, it does sort of. It goes. It goes yeah. from those big uh, tableau, if you like, right down to the still yeah. life that you're talking about about Cezanne and the apples. But but still life yeah. is is a big focus of food, isn't it? It, it is, it is, and it's. Um, it, it, it always has been. It's. I think it's um, just getting proportions of things that are in front of you and making them, learning to make them look realistic. But um, the, the the Cezanne that she, uh, when she was doing the apples, having seen all of those other ones that I mentioned, which are more classical, and, mm. you know, the Cezanne's more considered modern art from last mm. century, she soon discovered that she thought to herself, as she puts it in her article, um, that the apples were not apples. They were painted strokes on canvas, and the artist didn't want you to forget that. That was the point. That was the point of Cezanne, she felt, because mm. you can actually see the brush marks and everything. And she understood what the artist was up to, and she thought that it was that she wanted to get more involved with the real things that were being depicted. And it was when doing the Cezanne deconstruction of the painting she happened upon a local high-end green grocery or food shop and she noticed a display of really interesting high-end uh, heirloom fruits which are those which are not mass-produced that are usually organic or from the original seeds that aren't hmm. um they aren't kind of cross crossed with other seeds to make them uh, plumper and uh, you know like the mass-produced ones are almost unusual and, these uh, days right almost unusual very, very much so. Yeah, I mean, it's you can go. There, there are some. Uh, the old central market. I know it's rec uh, recently reopened again, but uh, you the, uh, in the old one there were certain stalls that sold heirloom tomatoes, which were from Australia and Europe, and those had such amazing flavour. Occasionally, as a treat, I would get some of those and just have them as a really simple salad. And you can get these in some fancy restaurants in Hong Kong that, that cost quite a bit just to have like a tomato salad as a starter or, or, or as a, a very healthy lunch if that's what you want to have in it. I remember... And, you know, there, there was a, go on, sorry. Yeah, go on. No, I, just oh, I was going to say they're in... Oh, no, no, you. You go. I was yeah. just, just going to say, you know, I, I remember as a kid, you know, all the different types of apples that you could get. And now it's just apples, isn't it? But yeah. you could get Cox's orange pippins and all kinds of different types of, of apple, especially if you went to the market and you went, you went to the, almost the source of it. Exactly. And she, the ones that she was talking about specifically, which you're talking about ones which I recall because I also grew up in the UK and my childhood was there when those were available. And also my parents grew apple trees, uh, cooking apples and fruit apples in our garden, which were, uh, you know, which sometimes sometimes weren't eaten by birds or maggots and we could eat them. But yeah, but in America, the ones that she saw specifically that turned her head in, uh, uh, you know, in a shop were Arkansas blacks, which apparently are so dark that they do look black, hence their name. Really, really deep purple. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and Idaho reds, uh, Macintosh Golden Delicious. Golden Delicious, a lot of people may be yep. familiar with, and we can we can even get them here, um, grown in Australia. But um, but they were but they were the heirloom variety, and she 
thought that they looked so beautiful that they that they attracted her more than the paintings of Cezanne uh, of apples, where he was, you know, being sort of expressive with the paint and so on. And so she actually lost herself in making one of the first bits of serious cooking that she ever did. Serious cooking, I mean, it was an apple crumble that she made. <laughs> And she, that's, that's good she, cooking. That's but, good cooking. <laughs> well, yes, it's no nonsense stuff, and it makes the apples shine. It makes the heirloom <laughs> ingredients shine, yeah. and that's what she wanted to do. She didn't want to get to kind of, um, you know, cover up the apples in either pre-prepared sauce or anything. She just used flour and butter, and she said that she just basically got lost in the process of swirling the flour and the butter around and and breathing in the heady scent of that butter and uh and it, it's just a really beautiful article which ties in art and food mm. and you can see it by going to the uh museum of modern arts website it's it's uh you you, you need a few click throughs but uh but it's so uh, that's moma m-o-m-a uh, dot org mm. yeah mm. And, uh, and, and what i love about it, it it's, it's an art magazine or museum article nice but that's go is it's reaching out for food lifestyle but at the end of it they they publish the apple crumble recipe that uh, oh. that turned her on to <laughs> what, what, what she then went on to do and um she so so in, in normal times in non-covid times she is the presenter of a pbs public broadcasting service mm. uh tv station called gourmet adventures with ruth her name is ruth reichel mm. and she also is the ex yeah she's the ex editor of gourmet magazine which is a big name food magazine in the u.s Absolutely. so it's uh, it, yeah, it, and, and all of that all of that was from the 1960s it's from decades ago when she was an art history student until today and when covid finally packs up and goes home uh, she she'll she she may resume her uh, her wandering sure. tv shows mm. where she yeah where she goes around like some of the classic uh, tv food presenters that we could also reel off names mm. of um doing doing recipes on the spot with beautiful backdrops behind her now so that's yeah yeah that's your so starter that's, that's your starter what's your main course that is that is that's that's just that, that's just to pick our <laughs> appetites there and uh yeah the, the 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 main course then is that according to a cnbc news report 10 days ago big brands in the plant-based meat substitute arena that's basically the big the big boys or big players are impossible foods and beyond meat yeah. are really really battling at the moment to achieve price parity with actual meat real meat because it's been long noted but cnbc did a big delving report on uh why and how it is that the cost of minced plant-based meat substitutes is more expensive uh, or, or <laughs> Yes, a lot more, a lot more expensive. <laughs> it totally I mean, is, isn't it? It, it totally is. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but it, it, I mean, it doesn't. It do, I guess it doesn't take um, you know a lot of working out. But they've gone to research market research companies to mm. get some data to uh, to find out. You know, it's uh, we, we we see the product uh, the products in Hong Kong, uh, not so much in, in in the as in the US and elsewhere, but appearing in. Um, cafes and um, even in some fast food places. I don't know if the, if it's hits the fast food chains in Hong Kong, but uh, but in America, Burger King and and Starbucks have, uh, have are using these products in their 
uh, in their sandwiches or burgers. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the demand for uh, food, according to uh, one market research company in the US, which is called Oppenheimer and Company, um, says that the, uh, the demand has gone up 27% globally mm. year on year. That's mm. in the last year. Um, so, uh, and um, yeah, the, uh, the, 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 the market now is predicted by them to be 182 billion Hong Kong dollars by 2024. Wow. That, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's globally, but um, it's, the, the reasons really are that everything is made on a micro level, of course, you know, it doesn't, I'm, I'm no economist, but, but it, uh, but it takes, it, it, the nutshell version is that, uh, that everything is done on a small scale and it costs a lot. It, basically, it boils down to the bottom line costs a lot more to engineer the meat substitute than it does to keep farm animals, slaughter them and mince them up. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, you know, that's that's basically what it boils down to. So um, big meat manufacturers have been producing animal meat products for decades and decades, obviously, even centuries and plant-based uh, companies can't compete just yet. It's expected from the research and CNBC says that they expect it will get cheaper in time. But many of us, as you say, have asked that question. Mm. Meanwhile, the figures that I see quoted for a pack of two burgers by these kind of brands, uh, the quality producers, are uh, about half the price of what we pay here. They're talking about how expensive it is in the UK. Of course, we've got to pay for freight and logistics. Same well, with anything else that's important. Food in, is expensive here, isn't it? But it, it, especially any kind of food that is imported. And let's face it, a lot of food is imported. But uh, yeah. I, I think we. Yeah. I, I remember doing something, talking to someone a, a few months ago. I think on Morning Brew about this, and they, they were saying that the average price of mm. food in Hong Kong is two and a half times the price of the UK. Right. Yeah. 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 It's that. I mean, that's that's not surprising. There are certain items which. Uh, I think we probably uh, many people may have as a go-to about things that are outrageously priced. I think coffee comes to the, mm -hmm. the top of my list um, mm. most often about things which are just um, you know. But but um, I, I suppose until there is the uh, the supply chain that um, and the or, or the, the product items um, it, you know closer to Hong Kong, it's always going to be like that, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I do. I do. I did always enjoy when I first came here. Um, Del in being um, you know curious on local um, food stuffs, both in natural ingredient for grocery shopping and also for for eating, because I thought the whole attraction of being in a place that I wasn't from originally. Mm. Um, but I think um, I think that that, uh, the, the, the longer that um, you know that that, that people m who aren't Kong are here you know you, you, there are certain things that you want to have exotic tastes of this and that and yeah we're not a we're not a farming economy are we, 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 we know I your mean, tastes are very exotic andrew we know your tastes are very exotic so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i won't yeah, no self-reflection there what about you what do you find i mean i mentioned coffee is it, i think overly ostentatiously priced the one that came up uh, um when we talked about this before was um was milk and that it's actually che oh, yeah. cheaper to go into a very famous upmarket uh, UK-based supermarket in Hong Kong and buy the milk that they have shipped mm. from the UK, and it's actually cheaper than the milk we've actually got here in, in Hong Kong. 
That's interesting. Oh, right. That's the opposite right. way around, right? No, yeah. no, no, that's yeah, exactly that the point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's the point. So, uh, yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Micro-produce. Okay, so it's a catch-22 situation, uh, really. The price is not expected to come down. Uh, and the, uh, the, the manufacturers who were interviewed basically said that they have reduced costs in the last year. Uh, 15 to 20 percent. This is in America. I don't know if we've seen any knock-on effect here, but it's um, but still the um, the the actual produce that you get pound for pound is more expensive than than meat. That's the uh, that's just to uh, just to let people know what uh, you know what's going on in the world of. Uh, Meat substitute. It doesn't seem to be uh, rushing down in price anytime soon. Is the basic conclusion. Exactly. Um, and um, yeah, uh, just as a, as a side note to end that uh, segment, uh, Impossible Foods, that brand, is ranked at number twenty-four on this year's CNBC Disruptor Top Fifty list of there companies that okay. are disrupting the market. Yeah. Um, finally, um, there's um, there's a report in um, the South China Morning Post. It's a bit of a bitter dessert, I've got to say. <laughs> it's um, uh, it's 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 from the Young Post section, which right. which is uh, appealing to the sixth form age of secondary school kids and university age kids, really. And a reporter from the Young Post uh, just uh, over the last week um, did a took it upon herself to see if she could survive on the fifty dollars a day Hong Kong dollars for food and transport that refugees in Hong Kong um, have to spend on uh, on those on those wow, things that's on not food much, is and it? transport. That's not much. It really isn't. Um, from her uh, research, she found that out uh, that the 13... This is quite surprising. There are 13,000 refugees here. I didn't even realise, you know, the figures. But there are... That's the that's the amount of refugees that are here right now. Mm. And they, 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 they get a subsidy from the government of... 3,000 Hong Kong dollars a month. Uh, half of that must be used for rent, but mm. special accommodation, which is low prices, is provided for them to spend that on. And the other half um, leaves approximately that $50 um, uh, sure. for, for the two things that I mentioned. So she tried her challenge was to see if she could uh, have meals that were no more than $30. Mm. Um, and that was either out which was more difficult because she only found she could do that at cha chan tang's the uh mm. you know the local cafes mm. um otherwise she was cooking for herself all the time and she also found that in order to have uh nu nutritional food such as fresh green or other colors of vegetables it was almost impossible to have a salad for example because the prices uh have gone up quite a lot uh, in the recent few years for salad type vegetables, even though, even if you buy the ones that are from across the border in China, still mm. quite pricey. Um, so she sometimes decided to uh, do more walking than take buses from her Causeway Bay SEMP office to, um, to splurge on things like um, uh, mushrooms, aubergines, and other types of uh, mostly. She was eating on vegetarian food, and she found, though, that she did manage to get enough of what she considered nutrients by eating tofu and vegetables and just skipping meat, basically. But so still, it was, that's it, it was, tight, right? It is, it is. I mean, it's it, it's hard to do. I mean, uh, she, she also got in touch with uh, NGOs who support refugees who found, uh, unsurprisingly, that, uh, that it was very hard for uh, for the refugees to, to to manage to uh, 
to eat or cook for themselves on the budget that was provided that I've mentioned already. So, uh, yeah, that, Interesting. Was, that, that was it, really. There was, mm. there, 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 was no, there was no real conclusion to it other than uh, um, that, that, that uh, it would be really handy if uh, and NGOs were backing this up, that if that could be lifted from one and a half thousand of the whole monthly 3,000 budget to uh, to 2,000, it would make... Make quite a big the, difference, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, big, mm. big difference. That extra 500 was uh, would be, make a big big difference to the refugees' menu. But interesting to... Um, yeah, interesting to hear yeah. about it anyway, and good to note that that is actually the case, and uh, maybe we should all challenge ourselves to see whether we can get through a, a week on $50 a day. I mean, it's, uh, that is uh, a small yeah. amount of money, but... Uh, Tuesday Please lunchtime, Tuesday lunchtime, Andrew Dambina is here with Food and Drink. Andrew, thank you very much, as ever. Some interesting things. Thanks, James. Have a good afternoon. All right. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.